Let's pray together. Our God, we give you thanks for this time. We pray now for your help. We pause to seek you to say, would you come and use this time to be transformative for us? Father, would you give us the spirit without limit, which is what you promised, so that it would be with my mouth, that it would proclaim rightly your word, and in doing that, it would be with your people and their ears and their minds and their hearts to feel maybe what they haven't felt in a long time, to see maybe what they haven't seen in a long time, to understand more clearly and go deeper into what you have done for us and all the difference that makes. We pray that we would make much of Jesus. That's why we've gathered. We ask this in his name. Amen. This week, I came across a preacher who told the story about a famous tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. In 1859, Charles Blondin set out to be the first man to walk across the Niagara Falls. And so he suspended a wire 160 feet above the falls, had nothing but a three-inch diameter wire made of hemp, and he started to walk the 1,100 feet across. Uh, to see this stunt were gathered thousands of people. In, front, in fact, almost 25,000 people gathered on the shores of the Canadian side and the American side, including our own President Fillmore at the time, who came to watch this magnificent feat. Well, when he did it, not only did Blondine make it across, he did so several times. And in fact, in the numerous times that he did it, he promised the crowd that each time would be better than the last. And so he walked across once with a pole. And then he once walked across halfway and threw the pole into the water and kept on walking. Another time, he walked backwards all the way from Canada to America. As you read the stories, you almost couldn't believe that it was true. He did it once walking on stilts all the way across. Another time, he did it pushing a wheelbarrow. One time, he, pushed a, he, he carried with him a portable stove and a chair, got halfway to the falls across. He sat down in his chair, made an omelet on the stove, ate the omelet, drank a glass of champagne, and then walked to the other side. Overall, some 300 times, he walked back and forth from Canada to the U.S. across the Niagara Falls. Once, he did it carrying a man on his back. The man's name was Harry Colcord. It was his manager. And before they set out, here's what Boldine said to, Blondine said to his manager. He said, look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondine now. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. Now you talk about trusting in someone or putting your faith in someone. It'd be one thing to cheer for Blondine as 25,000 people were willing to do from below. It's another to climb on his back and to let him carry you across. Now here's the thing I want you to imagine. Imagine that as Blondine and his manager are halfway across the falls, imagine for a moment if the manager said, stop, thank you so much for getting me this far, but I don't think you can get me across. I'm going to have to find some other way. Put me down. Now that 
I, I don't know about you, but for me, that would be unthinkable. You couldn't even imagine this manager saying, look, look, I know you got me this far, but I don't think you can get me all the way across. You got to stop. Put me down. I'm going to have to find some other way across. I, I'd imagine if you let yourself think about it, you'd feel sort of the panic in your own heart. Could you imagine this man climbing off Blondine's back and then him, incompetent, untrained, trying to take one step to make it his way across? That'd be unthinkable. One second would be the end of that manager. How crazy would it be that having gotten thus far on Blondine's capable back, that you would imagine that there's any other way to finish except to keep going the way that you began? Hear that again. Having got thus far, how crazy would it be to imagine that there's any other way to keep going except to continue the way that you began? That's what I think our passage is going to teach us. And the reason I say that is because that's exactly the way that I think you and I can often tend to treat or relate or approach a relationship with Jesus. Here's what I mean. For those of you that are Christian. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, you became a Christian because you came to realize that you were a sinner. And you came to realize that your sin had separated you from God and that there was a great chasm now between God and you caused by your sin. And when you became a Christian, the reason you became a Christian was you realized there was nothing you could do to get across that chasm. And so you abandoned any and every thought of trying on your own to somehow get across. Instead, what you did is you acknowledged your total inability to make it the other way, and you climbed onto and threw yourself onto the back of Jesus Christ. And what you did when you became a Christian is you confessed that you couldn't get across and that Jesus could, and so you threw yourself, your whole weight of your entire being, onto him and said, I'm going to trust in his ability, confessing my own inability. I'm going to trust in his merit. And that first hour when you became a Christian was a, a moment when you realized this is all a free gift. It's grace. It's someone else doing the work for you. All you're doing is hopping along, going on someone else's ability. You have no merit of your own. It was a free, gracious gift. That's how you began when you became a Christian. But somewhere along the way, and it could have been a few days after you became a Christian or a few months after you became a Christian or a few years after a Christian, but some point, a thought began to creep into your mind. A thought came into your mind that the way forward now must somehow be different than the way thus far. That somehow the way to finish, the way to continue must be different than the way you began. You, you start believing that there must be something else or something more that you're missing. Right, for some of you, I'd imagine maybe if you were honest with your soul, you're not feeling all of this like you once did. Would you listen to me for a second? Maybe you're a Christian, but you're not feeling it the way you once did. You remember back to the thrill of those first hours. Do you remember back to what it was like when you first believed in Jesus Christ? When you first became a Christian? When, when you couldn't get enough of Jesus? You didn't read the Bible back then. You devoured the Bible. You didn't go to church. You lived the church. You wanted to be at every Bible study, every gathering where Christians came together. You couldn't get enough of it. 
Every song seemed to send goosebumps down your back and and chills down your spine. And there was this warm feeling in your heart and tears readily came to your eyes. And Jesus was so close, it was as if he was the shadow by your right hand. Nobody had to talk to you about him. He was on your mind, on your heart all the time. But somehow, and for whatever reason, things change. Things cool off. And somewhere along the way, you become convinced that there must be something else or something more. There must be something that I'm missing. There must be something that I'm not getting in this walk with Jesus. And so you begin to look. And maybe you begin to chase that experience. If I could just have that spiritual experience, if I could just have that thing happen to me, then it it would be sort of like a a stat all clear and my walk with Jesus would be jump-started again. Or or you begin to think, if I could just go to that church or listen to that preacher or read that book or attend that conference, you just go from thing to thing to thing looking for something to jump-start your faith again, to revive your feelings again. I, I know when I became a Christian very young, still a boy, I remember as things grew cold, I would just hope for one conference or another to sort of revive. You go to this conference or you go to this retreat and it was like this mountaintop high and the rest of your days was somehow trying to figure out how you could hold on to that high, hold on to that feeling. And so you went from one thing after another, chasing, hoping that there was something you were missing. There must be something else or something more. And I wouldn't have thought it and I wouldn't have said it out loud But essentially what I was doing was I was climbing off Jesus' back and I was saying, thank you so much for getting me thus far, but I got to find my way from here. I got to, I got to, there must be some other way or something else or something I'm missing. Sure, the gospel got me started. The good news of what Jesus has done for me got me started, but surely there must be something else or something more. If you've ever been there, or if you'd be honest enough to even acknowledge that you might be there right now, that's where the Colossians were. The letter that we've been looking through, the letter that we've been studying. It's a group of Christians who were planted back in the day in what would have been Turkey now. And what happens for them is that a Christian named Epaphras comes, and he tells them that they are sinners, and that there's now a great chasm between them and God, and that there's no hope on their own for them to get across to God. And then he tells them about Jesus. And you know what the the Colossians do? They receive Jesus. They they listen to what Epaphras says and they trust in Jesus and they abandon every thought of their own of getting to God on their own and they throw themselves onto Jesus' back. And now they're halfway across the Niagara Falls and a thought has begun to creep into their mind that there must be something else something more. They're in this precarious, dangerous place where they're entertaining, climbing off Jesus' back and finding some other way to finish, some other way to keep going. And in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, through the writings of the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit of God is trying to convince the Colossians then and you today that the way you began is the way to keep going. Hear me again. That the way you began is the way to keep going. You started in Jesus, now keep going in Him. 
That's the message of Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. You started in Jesus. Now keep going. Because what Colossians is going to communicate to us is we don't get past the gospel and move on to something else. We rather grow deeper into the gospel and get built up in the gospel. We only grow in our understanding of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So we're in Colossians 2. If you've got a Bible, you're looking at verses 6 and 7. This is the passage that Danielle read for us. Hear it once more. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, verse 6 and 7 of Colossians is sort of like a hinge verse. And, and what's sort of happening is, it's sort of a hinge from what Paul has said up until this point to now what he intends to say from here on out. And so what Paul has said up to this point is sort of, here's what's true. Here's what God has done. And now he's sort of going to shift to tell you, and here's what you should do in response. I need you to hear, that's sort of all of Christianity. All of Christianity is this hinge of, here's what God has done, and here's what you do in response. Every other thought and worldview would say, you do this and God will do something back. You obey, he'll love you. You do this, he'll accept you. Christianity is the opposite that says, here's what God has done, and here's now how you respond. And so from this section on, Paul is going to start giving you a bunch of practical things. He's going to tell you about how to fight sin. He's going to tell you about how to be wives and how to be husbands and how to live on mission and all this wonderful practical stuff. And yet, 6 and 7 is this great hinge where it's sort of this summary of what he wants to say in all of Colossians, what he said thus far, what he wants to say from here. And what he says is, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He starts with this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. So Paul starts with where you started. He begins with where you began. Here's how you began. Back when you got started, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's how all this got started. You abandoned any hope of getting a cross on your own. You trusted in the merit of Jesus in His death for your sins, His resurrection. You threw yourself, your soul, your entire being onto His back. And you realized it was His merit and not your own. That's how you started. You received Christ Jesus. But I want you to see that he uses this word receive here as sort of a technical word that, that goes beyond just the idea of you came to faith in Christ. That goes beyond the idea of you accepted Jesus as your Savior. Commentators and scholars tell us this word receive here is a technical term. In fact, every time it's used, it's connected with the idea of receiving a tradition. Right? So when Paul or the Scriptures would talk about a tradition, and don't panic when you hear tradition, it's sort of a good word here, right? A, a tradition, the things that were right and good, teachings, body of doctrine that was passed down, every time that's mentioned is when this word received is used. And so for example, j just to give you an idea, you hear this said every week. When we take communion, when we lead through communion, I recite, I say to you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. And if you remember when we take communion, I say, For what I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. 
Do you hear it there? For what I received, a tradition, a, a, something that was passed down to me, I delivered to you. That's the same word he uses here. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And I think the reason he uses this particular word here is because the Colossians that he's talking to and writing to are in danger. They're in the precarious place of exchanging what they have for some other tradition. In fact, that's what you see if you go down to verse 8, which we'll look at next week. Here's what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world that are not according to Christ. And so Paul is saying, listen, you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. So see to it, make sure that you don't trade that in for some other human tradition. The Colossians are thinking of exchanging what they have, and Paul reminds them. Here's what I want you to hear. Paul wants to remind them, when you began, when you got started, what you received wasn't just a body of teaching, wasn't just a tradition, wasn't just a way of doing something. You received Christ Jesus the Lord. I want you to notice that. The way that other people receive a tradition, you received a person. That's what makes Christianity different, Colossi, from all the other teachings that are coming about. And that's what I'd say to you, Samaro. This is what makes Christianity different from all the other worldviews and movements and religions. Because every other thought will offer you a belief or a doctrine or a way of thinking or a way of teaching, but Christianity comes and offers you a person. A person. You think of that. When Muhammad came, he essentially said, receive this holy book, the Quran, or receive the sayings, the hadiths, the teachings of the prophet. Believe this thing, it will lead you to life. Or when Moses came, it was receive these commandments, these laws, these rules, these customs. Do these things and it will lead you to the way of life. Or when Buddha came, it was receive these four noble truths and it will get you on the way to life. But when you become a Christian, I want you to hear what you receive is a person. You received Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul says. You weren't given a body of doctrine or a set of cold truths. You weren't even shown just a way. You were given a person. You think of that. Every other leader would have said, here is the way and here is the truth that will lead you to the life. And Jesus alone comes and says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. When you became a Christian, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, when you became a Christian, Colossi, when you became a Christian, Seven Mile Road, you received a person. You, you didn't just download some information into your brain. You came into a living relationship with a person. Who is that person? It's the one Paul has told us about in Colossians 1. Do you, do you remember the, the one who is the firstborn over all creation? The one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were made. The one who is the head of his body, the church. The one who is the firstborn of the dead, who died and the first one to resurrect into new life. The, the one who sustains all things, even as he created all things. The one who in everything might be preeminent. The supreme and sufficient Lord of all, Christ Jesus the Lord. That's who you received. That's how you began. 
At this point, if you're listening, then I think one of the questions that the text would push you to ask is, have you? If you're sitting here, have you, have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Listen to me. Every other alternative in the world, every other alternative in the world will put you on the tightrope and say, here's a book. Or here's a set of things for you to know. Or here's a way to go forward and then say, good luck. Hope you make it. And every other worldview has you now balancing that tightrope all the way across on your own, hoping you make it across. But Christianity comes and says, here's a person who will carry you through his merit because you have none of your own. Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? And I want you to hear, I'm not asking, have you gotten more religious? Have you added church and the Bible to your routine? Have you thrown Jesus onto the other parts of your life? That, that's not what I've asked. That's not what he's saying. Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord, he says. So not have you squeezed in Jesus to the other parts of your life so that now you'll give him a nod on a Sunday. You'll show up here on a Sunday. Uh, not have you added a little bit of Jesus Jr. to your life. Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord, the preeminent, supreme, sufficient one who is over and above all things, who rules over everything now? You remember when, when Blondine told Harry, his manager, you remember what he said? From now on, you're no longer Colcord. You're Blondine. One in body, soul, and mind. Don't you try and balance yourself anymore. Where I sway, you sway. That's the picture of receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. It's that you have completely abandoned every bit of control to your life. You've yielded completely to Him, to another. And you said, it's no longer me, but I live in Him, body, mind, and soul. Where He goes, I go. I do not attempt to balance this life on my own. I'm done trying to run my own life. I've yielded complete control over to another. That's what Paul has said. And so the question for you is, have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? And if you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, then what should you do? Well, that's what he tells us. Verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So walk in Him. Here's what has happened. Here's what is true. You received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now here's what you should do. So walk in Him. So keep going in Him. Through the Apostle Paul and his writings, the Holy Spirit is trying to tell the Colossians and you today that the way you began is the way to keep going. You started with nothing but repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And the way to keep going is the way you began. With nothing but repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You started in Jesus. Now keep going in Him. You started abandoning every thought of your own ability to get across. You started not staring at yourself, but staring at another, throwing your weight on Him. Why would you imagine that the way to finish is any other way than the way you began? Why would you now turn to think this is now going to be about how you get things done? But rather, even as you threw yourself wholly upon Him once, so you continue to throw yourself holy upon Him all the time. The way you began is the way you keep going. Paul is saying to the Colossians, don't climb off now. 
having gotten you thus far on his capable back, don't climb off now. Walk in him. Walk is the idea of the sort of totality of your life. Right? Walk is the idea of this is the direction of your life. So keep going in him. And then Paul adds four phrases to help you sort of understand what it means to walk in him. What it means to keep going in him. That's the rest of the verse. To keep going in Jesus, he says, is to be rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. These four phrases, rooted, established, built up, abounding. What those phrases are supposed to do is to clarify for you what walking in him means and looks like. So he says, rooted, right? Just as you began in Jesus, keep walking in him. What does that look like? It means rooted in him. Now, there's a different translation called the NASB. And that translation actually captures something in the original language that, that that would be helpful for us to see. So let me just read you how this verse is said in the NASB. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, same thing, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith. You see that? Having been firmly rooted. I think what that captures and helps us see is that Paul is saying, here is something that has already happened and it was done to you not something you even did. Having been rooted, the way to keep going is to remember that something was already done to you, not by your own work, but by God's work in your life. Having been rooted, something was already done to you, for you. When you began, God planted you, rooted you in Christ. And so the way to keep walking is to go back to that foundation and remember what He did for you. The way to keep going is to constantly go back to where you began. That God rooted you in Christ. It's sort of like, like a boomerang. I, I want this image tattooed into your brain. All the Christian life is, is a boomerang where you're constantly, no matter where you go, being drawn back to where you began. No matter where you get thrown out, you're constantly coming back to the beginning, to the basics, to the gospel of who you are and what Jesus did for you. You're constantly coming. The way to grow in the Christian faith is this boomerang in your soul that is constantly coming back to where you were rooted. That's how you grow in the Christian life. Another way we've often said it is you preach the gospel to yourself. When we use that phrase, what we're saying is you're going back to where you were rooted. You're going back to God loves me. God died for me through His Son, Jesus Christ. My sins are forgiven. That's who I am today. And I want you to hear, every day of your Christian life, this is the call, is to come back to you have been firmly rooted. And it never goes away. I'll tell you, for example, for me this week, I came to faith in Christ when I was a nine-year-old boy. Didn't know anything. All my terrible sinning was still ahead of me, and yet Jesus Christ really saved me. Nine-year-old boy. And, and, and now, two decades later, two, more than two decades later, this Wednesday, I was down in New York because I had to help out with some family stuff, and at around 7 o'clock, I'm finally making my way to a Starbucks to try and start doing some work. 
I have the sermon to preach this week. I haven't prayed or read the Bible all day. I'm walking in the parking lot from my car to the Starbucks, and I'm assaulted with God must be so disappointed in you. You're going to go try and write a sermon. You haven't read or prayed. Why on earth would you imagine God's about to help you now? This assault, I'm telling you. And I, I go through this all the time. And so I kid you not, I'm putting my hand on the Starbucks door and I'm reminding myself, Jesus Christ died for me. Two and a half decades after I first heard that, Jesus Christ died for me. I don't have to try and get a cross on my own. I'm done with my performance. God doesn't love me based on what I do, but based on what Christ has already done for me. I am really accepted, not through anything I do, not, not through a good day of reading or a bad day of reading, through the best sermon or the worst sermon. Christ has died for me. I'm on Him. And I have to do what? I have to remember back like a boomerang in my soul to go back to the thing I heard when I was nine years old. We don't drift away or move on to something else. We just keep coming back and growing deeper into what God has done for us in Christ. And what Paul is saying is, you have to keep going the way you began. You have been rooted in Christ. This is why Martin Luther, the great reformer, he once said, the gospel cannot be beaten into our ears often enough. Did you hear that again? The gospel wasn't just what I believed at nine to get become a Christian. Jesus Christ died for me. He loves me. No, the gospel cannot be beaten into our ears enough. Because we constantly are tempted to climb off and find some other way than the way we began. Having been rooted, and he also goes on to say, and now being built up and established in your faith. So Paul switches metaphors. He goes from a plant that's rooted in Christ to now a construction metaphor. Sort of now you're being built up. So the idea is not only has God put you down deep in Christ, now you are being built upward in Christ. You've got firm roots that aren't going anywhere, that can't just be blown over. You've been firmly rooted in Christ, and now you are being built up in Christ and established, strengthened in your faith. And he goes on to say, just as you were taught. What's that? That's saying, Colossae, Epaphras came and told you the gospel, and now I'm telling you that the way you are rooted and the way you get built up in established in the faith is just the same way you were taught. That is to Paul to say, I don't have a new message to tell you than the one you've already been taught. I don't have anything to tell you except to tell you deeper and more what Epaphras already told you. The gospel you heard is what you ought to continue in. He gives one more phrase to unpack what walking in him is. That's the last phrase. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Overflowing with thanksgiving. Would you hear me? Do you want a good gauge of whether you are continuing in Him? Do you want a good gauge of whether you are keeping on going in Him? Here'd be the question. Are you abounding in thanksgiving? Thanksgiving implies this, this recipient, gift, right? If you're thankful, it's because you were given a gift. 
And so it's the idea that you're abounding in thanksgiving. You're living centered on the reality that you've been given a gift. And there is a joyful gratitude that overflows and marks the person who is centered on the gospel. I want you to hear that. That's not a throwaway line. There is a joyful, almost carefree gratitude and overflowing thanksgiving that marks the person that is centered on the gospel. I was thinking about that this week, and I was deeply convicted that my life seems to lack a carefree, just gratitude that comes from trusting in Jesus. I was thinking about my life in this season, and I felt deeply convicted that there's not this carefree, joyful, abounding thanksgiving in this season. And, and I thought about it. If you imagine the manager getting off Blondine's back, if you can imagine what his emotional state would be as he takes his first two steps, could you picture that? I mean, you can almost feel the tremor in your own heart. It would be anxious and fretful and fearful. It would be this complete scrutinizing of every step. It would be this complete looking at how am I doing. And what it would be would be this complete staring at self. And that's exactly what happens when we drift. Because when I drift from what He has done for me, I begin to stare at how I'm doing and what I'm doing. And all my energy and preoccupation is, how is my steps going? I constantly stare at every fretful, fearful step. Was this good enough? Was this good enough? Am I okay? And it's this constant staring itself. But, but imagine when you first came to faith. You were abounding in thanksgiving because you were staring at another and not yourself. You had thrown yourself onto another. You had received Christ Jesus the Lord, the free, gracious gift. You had thrown off every hope of how good you were. You had trusted in how good He was. And so you could abound in thanksgiving because you weren't preoccupied with self. You were staring at your Savior. If you're continuing in Him, having been firmly rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me end. If you're here and you are not a Christian, I have already pleaded with you and I say it once more. Receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Don't walk fearful steps anymore. You can't improve without Christ Himself carrying you on His back. If you're here and you're a Christian, particularly if you're here and you've lost that fire, that passion, you don't know how it happened, but you feel yourself drifting a million miles away. You don't know how you got there, but you're not near where you were when you began. Would you let the Holy Spirit, through the writings of Paul, and through my mouth tell you that the way you began is the way you should keep going? That what you need is to see Christ more clearly today than perhaps you have before you came here. You need to hear again the good news. There is no other book, no other conference, no other preacher, no other event, no other experience except to come back deeper into where you began. He's the one who brought you halfway across. He's the one who will carry you all the way through. So remind your heart, God loves you. God isn't expecting you to get across. He knew you couldn't, and so He sent His Son.
to fall into the abyss of His wrath for your sin, to rise again and be strong and capable enough, not because of your works, but despite your works, to carry you all the way across. What happened when you got converted is what you need to believe every day of your life. And if that be the case, I want you to hear, you can actually be a new Christian every day. I'm not promising you a feeling. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord. But I do want you to know the renewal that can happen every day comes from coming back to the gospel. You can be a Christian every day. That's what I want to be at the end. I'll tell you one last story and then I'll be done. I, when I first moved to Philly, I got to preach in South Philly. At South Philly, there's a church called Snyder Avenue Congregational Church. No one in America will know it. Just a small, tiny, insignificant, not cool church. I got there. There was barely a handful of people, and the pastor is a man named Herb Anderson. Very, very, very elderly man. Must be in his 70s or 80s. Has been in ministry for years. One of those churches, you have to wear a black robe if you're the preacher, so I had to wear a black robe as well. So sort of really stiff but wonderful church. I, I began to preach. This, this preacher is an old man, so much so that he's shaking his hands when he's giving communion. So he's got the bread in one hand and the cup in the other, and he's reciting large portions of the Gospel of John by memory. Wonderful godly man whose hands can't even stay because he's that old, that far advanced in his faith. I get up to preach to a man who has spent his whole life in the church, and I preached on justification, the good news that we're accepted because of Christ's death for us. And I kid you not, and, and again, a very formal church, I could barely get out a sentence because the man is standing behind me saying amen loudly to every word I said. Couldn't, couldn't finish a sentence because he was amening everything I said about Jesus. In fact, it, it was as if the man had heard the gospel for the first time. That's what I want to be. I want on my last day for the gospel to sound sweeter than it did on my first day. I want to amen when I'm 80 the good news that Jesus Christ loves me. And I want to amen that louder on my last day than even on my first day. The way you began is the way to keep going. You started in Jesus. So keep going in Him. Let's pray. Father, would you, by your Spirit, take every one of our hearts and bring them again afresh and anew to the foot of the cross and speak over us your love for us today. Would you tell us of our acceptance in you? Would you tell us of your finished work? Would you speak over us your love and would you remind us that we are firmly on your back? Roots have grown into the Christ Jesus the Lord. We pray that you would help us to continue as we began and that the gospel would be good and sweet news afresh to our ears. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.